Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was the best of times. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Away, man. These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Things That Made England. So the idea of our show is to decide on what things make England as she is, the country that, despite it all, we feel very lucky to be part of. Every week, one of us will pitch an idea to the other to be designated as one of the things that make England distinctive. It's not that any of these things are specific only to England, that would be a very tall order, simply that they're an important aspect of how England and why England is the way she is. Every month we'll come back to you, the listeners, or maybe just my mum, to vote and decide whether each idea is deemed worthy to be described as a thing that made England or not. So, this week, we have the longbow, or possibly the Welsh warbow, but we'll come back to that in a moment. So, very quickly, just a little intro, uh, Royfield. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't in- introduced you. Who, who are you again? I'm Royfield from 10 American Presidents, Dum D. Um, and uh, Mid-Atlantic. Oh, and can I just give a quick plug because you were plugging away in, in the last show. Yeah, uh, Mid-Atlantic is uh, a show which I'm very passionate about where I compare and contrast US and UK politics with uh, two pundits, one based in the US and one in the UK, and we look at that week's news, admittedly from a, a somewhat a left-of-centre political bias. Uh, but um, if you're interested in US and UK politics and where it is different and where sometimes it is eerily similar, uh, give it a listen. It's Mid-Atlantic. That's, a, that's an excellent plug. Can I just say, I mean, I'm, I'm so going to listen now. Oh, I listen already, of course. So... Uh, <laughs> Let me give you a quick intro, uh, Royfield, to why Mm -hmm. I have decided to put Longbow in. It is the Longbow. Oh, and before we go on, by the way, I've got Bone to pick with you. A couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. when we did, I think it was in the the cricket episode, you used Mm -hmm. the word mythos. 
mm-hmm. used it without any sense of shame. The word <laughs> mythos, okay, you can use what you like, you know, legend, lie, pile of poo, just not mythos, okay? Right, I've been told. I aggressive about this, but, you know, Greek. Well, I seem, I got a sneaky feeling we're going to, differ widely as the importance of the longbow in terms of making England and and I think this is truly something of uh, English mythos of which uh, anyway I'm not I'm going to hit you with my arguments against it later but you 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 know uh, flail away sir flail away we're trying to just call them myths okay Mm. anyway so the longbow a weapon that gave us a brief period of military glory and a history that is to be honest Away when we get away from the water and the senior service, outside of Marlborough and our favourite Irishman Wellington. Apart from that, we don't have a lot of military glory to talk about here with England, do we? So, a weapon that gave us that brief moment of military glory, but it also inspired one bloke to sit in the shed and write a podcast, Bread on the Milk of Stories of Faded Glory. <laughs> um, it gave us a popular history, a history that was not just about Aristos and their little spatch, you know, at the Wars of the Roses. You know, it's just a you know aristocratic squabble. Now, for the first time, the rest of us were involved. We were not just cannon fodder. It gave us a story of Robin Hood. It gave us madly enthusiastic reenactors at place like, places like Warwick Castle. And it gives a significant contribution to the development of the idea of the English as distinct from the French. And for a Mm. while, it lay at the heart of the English story. So that's in principle why. Are you ready for history lesson, Royfield? Because I just do like to lecture. Uh, Please, please do. It's what you do best, lecturing, David. It is what I do best. You might want to, you just, you know, let your head go forward on uh, onto the desk and, you know, get your pillow. (laughs) And and I'll I'll try and whistle loud in about half an hour. Uh, Please do. Okay, great. So where did it come from? The first controversy here. Uh, Roy, if it is not about whether it should mm. go in the cabinet or not go in the cabinet, it is, is it Welsh or is it English? Okay, so obviously the bow has been around for thousands of years, but mm. generally it was much shorter, used for hunting, easier to draw quickly. You know, you don't want to, don't need all that power. Um, you just need to get off a quick shot accurately. Uh, so the long bow needs to be at least four foot, and usually actually it's five or six foot. Okay, so mm-hmm. this is relevant, uh, Royfield. Do you know why? Uh, no. Good. I'm glad you said that because I thought you were going to warble on for half an hour, which would have gotten the way of my lecture. No. So uh, you have to, you can't just not draw a six foot bow, then go back home to the, to the day job, you know, podcasting or, you know, picking out a suit or whatever it might be. You have to practice and develop a body to suit. So, Ooh. in fact, they look at some of the uh, backbones of archers actually bent with the constant practice and effort. Basically, it was like Sweden and telecommunications. This became a national, <laughs> national specialisation. We specialised in the longbow. Everybody else says, oh, we're going to mess around with crossbows and a bit of this, bit of that. We said, uh, it's the longbow. Po- point, point of order, okay. telecommunications, Nokia, it's Finland, not Sweden. But as you were, sir. Is that right? Yeah. What's Ericsson? God damn it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen very often, does it? Anyway, there you go. So I'll just let that percolate, though. And that's not getting edited out, Brown. Not getting edited out. All right. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I was thinking of Nokia. I completely forgot about Ericsson. There you go. Sorry about that. Everything's better in Sweden. It's got to be said. It's just one of those rules. You just need to learn it. Right. Essentially, it's about market segmentation. Royfield is what it's about. England says, look, we're small. We're damp. 
and we've got bad breath. Mm. So we're going to focus on one weapon, the longbow. Okay. Anyway, is it Welsh or English, Broadfield? Is it Welsh or is it English? Is it English or it could well be Welsh, and it probably is Welsh. Is it something that made England? At the premise of what you're trying to propose is fundamentally a flawed one. Right, okay. I, you know, I'm so surprised that you said that. So hang on a second. Let me just get my head around this. You're going to argue with one of my propositions? Uh, you know, listen, you, 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 you go ahead. I'm just going to demolish it very easily right at the end. Yeah, so you are going to argue with one of my propositions. That comes as something of a shock. So I'm going to deal with this because I know, I know it's important. You know, Fiona is going to be questioned on me, and quite rightly. So there is a man called Gerald of Wales who uh, writes some uh, writes some books actually in the 12th century around about his travels in, in Wales. Actually, generally speaking, he's not very complimentary about his country mates because he's actually Norman in descent and he's a bit disparaging about the Welsh. But one of the things he does mention is the quality of their, their shooting. And one of his quotes suggests that the arrow actually goes quite deep into a, a door, mm. which suggests that it's got to be a longbow. Therefore, maybe it should be called the Welsh warbow. Whereas really the first time it makes an appearance in England, there's the Battle of the Standard in 1138 when we saw the Scots off, uh, gave them a good beating, but actually they then came back and gave us a good beating. But anyway, there you go. But that was probably actually a shorter bow. So probably it's not until the 13th century that the longbow proper appears in England. So he pays you money and makes a choice. But what I'm going to say to Fiona and the rest of the Welsh nation is that I'm not sure it really matters where it originated. The thing is that it became a core part of English armies and actually Welsh contingents using the longbow become a core part of English armies. So the famous defeat of the English at Bannockburn, really the only guys who get away in good order is a contingent of, of Welshmen who retreat all the way out from, from Scotland back into England with the use of their bows. So I'm going to say it's not clear from the evidence whether it's Welsh or whether it's English. Really, it's back in the midst of time. But I don't think it matters because it becomes a key part of what makes England. Does it though? Does it though? So do you want to have that argument? Then? So let me. Why do I it's, think it was the it was decisive in a few battles, uh, right? So Cressy, Potier, Nagincourt, right? And I understand that as late as the 16th century, longbowmen were still part of an English army. The militia that was called out. For the Spanish Armada included many um, longbowmen in, in, in their ranks. But here's my thing, though, David. How did that Hundred Years' War end up for us? Just remind me of the outcome. Well, I think it's a draw. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, it was just a scratch. Just a scratch. Well, this, this, is, this is my problem. I think this no, is I'll, a fundamentally flawed, flawed premise. I'll bite your ankles. Twice. Number one. We don't even know that it's English. And actually, there's more evidence that it's actually Welsh. And there's all these Welsh longbowmen, right? So let's give it to the Welsh. They've got precious little to crow about. Let's Ooh. give them this. Oh, right? come on. Oh, I'm going to defend the Welsh. That's an outrageous accusation. Uh, it's outrageous. not. Listen, they're decent at rugby. To, uh, 11th century Welsh poetry. <laughs> that sounds a little bit pretentious. <laughs> not not this week, David, no. <laughs> On reflection, I'm regretting that statement. <laughs> I tell you what, it's brilliant stuff, though. 
pretentious or not brilliant stuff you know i'm not going to argue with you because it's not a, a topic which i've i've encountered at all in, in in my life so so i'll concede the ground to you there that the welsh are good at poetry and their high point was approximately 10 centuries ago i did so, not say that that's basically what you said right <laughs> <laughs> get on with it brown get on we don't know if it's even english and actually we kind of know it's Welsh. We kind of know it's a bit of both. It's probably more likely Welsh than English. Number two, the use of the longbow, which we always cite, oh, we gave it to those French knights in, in their armour and we're just plucky Englishmen, you know, Cressy and Poitiers. We lost the war. So actually, in the war, the longbow was not decisive. It wasn't. It's excellently argued. And if my point was that we won the Hundred Years' War, then you would have won this argument. But it isn't. But David, 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 if it wasn't for those three battles, and actually for a bit of Shakespeare with with Agincourt and Henry V and all of that, right, the longbow would not be a thing of English mythos. Myth, sorry. You just said mythos, right? It wouldn't, though, would it? It wouldn't. It's because of these three stirring battles in a war that we lost that we're even talking about this it is something which is welsh we used it three times got lucky then the french came up with new tactics kicked our asses kicked us out of france and that's that right so let's move on to the social media roundup and let's just like end this show <laughs> so, so, well again royfield if my point was that we used the okay what's your point what's battle, your point then you know maybe fair enough the point is that it is part of what how england identifies itself so i'm going to read you a poem okay are you ready of okay, true words, is it of you in the original the welsh of england in the original bones. welsh so men who are free love the old yew tree and the land where the yew tree grows What of the men? The men were bred in England, the bowmen, the yeomen, the lads of dale and fell. Here's to you and to you, to the hearts that are true on the land where the true hearts dwell. Okay, it is part of the English myth of who they are. Actual fact, those are the words of a fair Dinkum Scott called uh, Sir Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle. It's part of the thing that makes England. It's part of the way that um, England looked at itself. It's part of Shakespeare. It's embedded in Shakespeare. Everybody quotes Cry Harry St George and all the rest of it. It's absolutely part of what, what makes us who we are. And to think that only physical things or real events in history are all that's important you know, it's just hogwash, isn't it? These cultural things are far more important. David, 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 David. It's true, isn't it? Right, so we should, we should now we can have the social media roundup as you said, Dave, right? Let's put it in the cabinet no. and away we go. I think... I feel brown speechless. Never seen that before. Maybe it's a way of life for a, for a few hundred uh, hunchback Welshmen, right? who were deformed out of all recognition because it's so hard to pull these things back. I don't doubt that you needed considerable skill and strength to manage these things and actually craftsmanship to forge the thing. Because I, I, you look at medieval crossbows and longbows and you just think, how the heck can you just like chisel that out of a bit of wood and it can be so deadly, right? And to get the right bit of you know whatever the heck they use is, is the bow you know is the you know so absolutely absolutely 
Well done, medieval people. Can I just say on behalf of medieval people, thank you. But David, we've fetishised too much about the Hundred Years' War. I repeat, a war which we, we lost. It rattles around in the back of the consciousness of people who are get all dewy-eyed for chivalry and and the medieval world. But actually, it wasn't a, a decisive weapon. If we'd have held on to those possessions, you know, if Henry VI had actually kept um, his place as King of France and there'd be no Joan of Arc, a completely different conversation. You'd say that was a decisive weapon that turned turned the European tide, so to speak, and, you know, we established ourselves as this uh, great nation that sits beside both sides of the, bestrides both sides of the English Channel. But actually, we got our asses kicked. So as a weapon of war, it wasn't actually that good in the long run. Technology completely overtook it. And we're not even talking about gunpowder because we were... Uh, we were getting rolled back when there's still ineffective firearms. So this is just come coming out with, with some different tactics and the French could defeat us in battle after battle, which you, I was going to say, you can't remember the name of, but actually you do a podcast called The History of English. And probably, you probably can remember a few of those battles, but your average Eng- Englishman cannot remember the name of one French battle where they defeated us time after time after time after time when we had our Welshman with these longbows because it's not part of our national myth. It's not part of our psyche, but actually the weapon wasn't that. Congratulations. Good. I'm not saying mythos, by the way. Well, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I've done. I've done. I'm spent. You're done. What do you mean is all I've got? Pretty, pretty <laughs> damning indictment on your longbow. But again, I say again, and I'll say it one more well, time. Well, you, you know, can should... come up with your hackneyed poems. I shall say this only ten times. If my argument was about winning or losing the Hundred Years' War... you But that's the only reason why you're talking about it, because of three battles. Poitiers, Cressy and Agincourt. Let us take Robin Hood, shall we? The legend of Robin Hood, something that runs throughout our, our culture and is constantly brought up in, me- in, in media. Constantly. Again, part of the way that England looks at itself. Absolutely fundamental to Robin Hood's story. I'll tell you what, right, because we have so many American listeners... You mentioned Robin Hood could well tip this in your balance because they're all going to say, well, I've heard of him. They know nothing about Cressy and Poitiers, but they know about him. So I'm going to say, well done to you just introducing him. Well, sorry, you were saying. You've pulled um, a devious card. It's a sleight of hand. Oh, come on. I mean, it's absolutely obvious, you know. It's the longbow, Robin Hood. Fantastic legend, famous the world over, absolutely integral to the story of England. Equality, the powerless fighting back against the powerful, that fundamental belief uh, amongst Englishmen that equality is important. You know, Robin Hood, the longbow. Well, whilst I believe Robin Hood and his merry men are supposed to have used a longbow, um, you can't say to do with freedom and freedom at the point of the longbow. Oh, I mean, I think I can say that whether the longbow created freedom, I mean, of course it didn't, absolutely not. Although it did create an element of, um, I mean, in actual fact, it's a myth that the longbow was put into the hands of the ordinary peasant. And then that created a kind of uh, equality. It was put into the hands normally of the better off peasant, the yeoman, mm. the freeman. But nonetheless, 
this is a period where, and also it's true to say in the Hundred Years' War, actually, that the dismounted man-at-arms was absolutely as important as the use of the longbow. But for once, the yeoman was on level terms to the man-at-arms. It doesn't transform an English society, but it does make it have an impact. Well, that's what I was getting, getting around to saying. So for about 200 years, this was a devastating weapon, right? which wasn't de- de- uh, necessarily uh, decisive on the battlefield because we fought many a battle with longbowmen and still lost. You could say, uh, let's talk about stockings then. Because like, there are many a poem talking about uh, peasants in stockings, in Chaucer, etc. Did they make England? How did we get onto stockings? Because I'm just saying the longbow was just around. It's just about. And it wasn't even decisive technology on the battlefield for those 200 years. It has a certain romance in terms of the late medieval age. I grant you that. But many things do. You listen to the... the, the uh, poems and the writings of Chaucer and he talks about a whole manner of things and stuff getting drunk and drinking mead and all this kind of stuff must have an episode on that actually well probably but like did mead actually make England though depends on what you mead really (laughs) you're very good aren't you that was that was poor wasn't it (laughs) okay look you know I get it the hundred years war were not decisive the hundred years war as an experience though had a big impact on England the fact that we lose it it's always important as whether we'd won it or not so during the war Mm. the development of English is is very important and before you say well that's not the longbow the point is that the the war goes on for a hundred years partly because of the strength of the um of the longbow because France was the greatest nation in Christendom, something like three times our population. And yet we fought it for 100 years and we we held our own for 100 years. And that is largely because of the technology of the longbow. And actually the French began to win when they realised that fighting pitched battles and charging a bunch of blokes with a longbow was a bad idea. My point is that during the Hundred Years' War, the English becomes the national language, whereas it had been French before. David, and now, the- now you're layering on a whole load of stuff, right? Which you didn't start off with the original premise. It's just sort of just so many reasons why you put the longbow in the cabinet. English was becoming uh, the language of uh, the court at the start of the Hundred Years' War. So you can't say that it's because we lost the Hundred Years' War and we retreated back to just being on our side of the English Channel. We no, get what English. Edward III does, so Edward III issues a, a famous proclamation where he says mm. the French king is trying to take our language from us. So English becomes a statement of nationality, whereas before it had never been. So then you're making my point for me. So you, you cannot conflate that with the longbow. It was happening again, otherwise anyway. we wouldn't have been in the war anymore if it hadn't been for the Longmo. And also, you said we held our own for 100 years. We didn't because the last 50 years is nothing but defeat after defeat. So That is so wrong. So when, let's just have a basic lesson of dates. When does the 100 years war end? The middle of the 15th century. 1453. When is... Okay, Agincourt, uh, 1415. Okay, so it's not quite 50 years. And the Battle of Verneuil, where is the, when is the Battle of Verneuil? Dude, okay, listen, this is your wheelhouse completely, (laughs) and you can pull me up, you can nitpick on details, but fundamentally, we're in retreat for at least 30 years. I said 50, I was out by 20 years. So we weren't holding our own at all for the 100 years. 
Then, although actually the hundred years war goes on for one hundred and thirteen, mm. so yeah, you're right. We only hold our own for, for ninety three. <laughs> <laughs> the poor show. It's a poor show. We only held our own for ninety three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we need to conclude. I mean, maybe this is one. This is one we throw open to the to the Facebook uh, population. But I would argue, just to summarise, mm. it keeps it in the hundred years war, which is a uh, it's a significant thing. But it's not about that. Actually, it's about the myth and the legend that it creates um, of the English archer, of the plucky English, of the egalitarianism that it brings, the legend of Robin Hood, which is incredibly important to us. Um, I think it becomes a part of the English legend. And, you know, national legends about who you are and all the rest of it are really important. I rest. I actually feel that you've been properly vanquished with, with this argument. <laughs> I really do. I think, you know, such slender pickings, David. You had one point you came up with about five times, got beat down a hundred times. But, but it's devastating, though. Yeah. It's a devastating point. By the way, there is another another argument as to why it might be Welsh rather than English. So there's a prescription for poisoned arrows in a medieval Welsh manuscript. Do you want to know what it is? If I have to, go on. Yeah, if you've got a poison wound, you're advised to hold the anus of a red cock to the wound until the bird be dead. <laughs> it should be a woman with a with her head. I just thought, I think that seems like a super place to end. So we should say thanks once again to Luke and Fiona, who do a brilliant job. It's greater than to put these things together. I look forward to the getting, getting them every fortnight. And we're going to hear now about what happened with last week's debate about the suit. The suit. Hooray. Owing to the fact that podcasting is a purely aural experience, none of you can see me. So you cannot assess quite how unqualified I am to be rounding up an episode on tailoring. But here I am, and I will try to do justice to another great episode from Royfield and David. Because I, for one, learnt something. That it was an Englishman, the dandy Beau Brummel, who invented the suit. And you've got to say, the boys are obviously quite convincing. Suits join our other exhibits in the endlessly expanding cabinet. Royfield, this time gave a nice, clear, two-way poll, which, at the time of recording, gives us a clear majority of 47 votes for the suit, that staple of a gentleman's wardrobe, needs to go in the cabinet, against just 17 slackers who voted for the frankly scruffy is it dressed down Friday option. Thomas, as ever, stirred up troubles by suggesting that the French set trends in cuisine and dress but Royfield was having none of it. We do seem to have a good few suit wearers amongst our listeners. Christopher loves a suit, but isn't fitting into them as well as he once did. Christopher, I share your pain. Lonnie posted a pic of the suit he was wearing as he listened to the podcast. Pinstripe, bottom buttoned undone, just as it should be. And speaking of how things should be, it sounds like Andrew does this sort of thing properly. Three-piece suit, pocket watch, and sporting a louche handkerchief in his pocket. He also wears a bow tie, and pointed out that this is a B-O-W tie, named after its shape, and nothing to do with bow, B-E-A-U, Brummel. And then we had the expert comments from Jan, about how she sells suits for their Englishness, but maybe not on the seashore, This Englishness is her USP, so she's putting suits in the cabinet. But then, of course, we had a number of comments from people that were not pro-suit. 
Richard is more of a cardi man. Or, if you were ever to wear a suit, he would accessorise with sandals. Jacinta and Leia agreed that whatever the merits or otherwise of the suit as a piece of clothing, there was nothing particularly English about it. But there again, Jacinta is Australian. So, you know. Claire shared an interesting letter from a newspaper. A prominent British politician has been voicing opinions against burkas and niqabs, and the correspondent made the point that he had never been oppressed by a woman in a burqa, but men in suits have caused all sorts of problems. It is worth a read. You can find it on the Facebook page. Cricket came back into the conversation, and we discovered that England are the current world champions in women's cricket, which I am sure will warm the cockles of all of our listeners' hearts. One of the best things about our Facebook group is all the fascinating and bizarre things people unearth and share. Rebecca gave us the British burrito, where the tortilla is replaced by a Yorkshire pudding. Yummy, if filling. Less appetising was Jennifer's mayonnaise ice cream. Then Michelle gave us a link to an article about yet another gaffe from President Trump, who seemed to think that the United Kingdom, Great Britain and England were terms that could be used interchangeably. This would come as news to the two Scotsmen stuck in a voice-activated lift in the video that Robin posted. Finally, and contentiously, Alan raised an issue that had come up between Roy Field, David, Fiona and I, that there's something of a blokey bias to some of the topics that have been covered. Battles, sports and gentlemen's clothing. Anyway, Fiona will be back to round up the episode you have just heard. And methinks you might be hearing more on this issue. And I warn you, she's Welsh, she has a longbow, and she knows how to use it. Luke, thanks, that was brilliant. Your summary and the Facebook group have frankly saved a pretty dodgy topic from oblivion. So thanks a million. Okay, so we're done. I'm really interested to hear what you're going to say on the Facebook. So I need support here. I mean, I think Roy Fugler's, I'm sure you'll agree, unsupportive. Um, and, and actually quite picky although it's got to be said i did talk about welsh medieval poetry which is probably the most pretentious thing uh i think could be said on a show so you might want to vote me down for just that reason anyway thank you very much for listening uh goodbye from me david and ta from me and these are the things that made england, england and st george these are the things that made england Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.